make sure that you are super driven and just intrinsically motivated because that shift from college to professional is so challenging. There's just, you know, in college, you're just pretty much given everything. You're given a schedule to follow. You're given nutrition, mental coaches, a coach in general, you know, just making that shift is super challenging, but find ways to make it work. If it's, you got to pick up a part-time job, you have to, whatever it might be, you know, find ways to make it work and, and go for it, you know? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick, and today we have a very special guest, Allie Wheeler, who is a longtime uh, volleyball pro. She's got, as far as I know, she's got three FIVB medals uh, under her belt, uh, AVP high finish of a fifth. She's been playing on tour for quite a bit, and she is a fellow entrepreneur, uh, has a company called AW Recruiting, Ali Wheeler Recruiting, where she helps volleyball players, both indoor and beach, find a home in some colleges. And she's going to tell us all about that and more, and we're going to learn a lot from her volleyball path. So uh, without further ado, Ali Wheeler, thanks for showing up. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how, what was your day like today? What, what was it from today was good. Until, uh, until now? Yeah, so far so good. I uh, woke up, I usually wake up at 6am. Um, and I had practice this morning, had a couple meetings, and now I'm here. Nice. Who are the meetings with? Um, had some meetings with some athletes this morning. Okay, for your so. recruiting company? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, now how, how does that go? So does somebody just come and they, they sign up on your website and then they have to provide videos. You teach them how to provide videos. You reach out to colleges for them. How does somebody utilize awrecruiting.com so that they can get themselves to a college? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So basically how the process works, um, a lot of people will find me via Instagram or word of mouth is usually how I've been getting my clients and how it starts is, you know, we'll talk and have kind of that first consultation call, talk about, you know, what they're looking for in a school, what's important to them. Um, and from there, I help them basically with every step of the way when it comes to like emailing, phone calls, um, figuring out like the best fit for them academically and athletically too. Um, and also like I'll help with talking to coaches for them. Um, and yeah, so just helping them step-by-step step through the process and helping the parents to better understand, um, you know, what to expect to for their kids. What do you think before we kind of get into the, the flow of our regular questions? Yeah. What do you think the biggest number one, the biggest misconception that parents and students have is, and then number two, the biggest problem, you know, what are you really discussing with them the most? It's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is just a big learning curve for kids and parents. Um, for the kids, it's just learning how to, it's pretty much like learning these skills that you will then later have to learn uh, in college and after school as well. Just like simple, you know, writing an email, like best way to do that. And the best way to market yourself to these coaches as well. Mm. Um, and the best way, you know, to just like make a phone call, how, how are you supposed to be communicating with these coaches? Um, so it's not only just like recruiting process, but teaching these kids life skills as well. Um, so I would say like, that's the biggest thing uh, that can be like, oh, like, I didn't even think about having to do this. Um, mm. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, that, that presentation over an email mm -hmm. and showing up in a good way that, that the majority of the people will at least appreciate or feel comfortable with you when you talk. That's yeah. not, it's not an easy skill for everybody. Everybody's like, yeah, they'll accept me for who I am. It's like, well, right. you want to show up to a business meeting, to a presentation. You want to have something to say so you're not just umming your way through a first conversation. And then, you know, even if a coach is, is on the line, I think where athletically you're kind of the same person, but they actually vibed with you just a little bit better as a person, just because you're able to communicate exactly. or present yourself. You're like, 
that's somebody I kind of want to represent my program. So right. you're going to get that upper edge, right? Exactly. And it's not, you know, you can't just show up and blow up, you know, at a tournament and just play really well. It's, you know, you got to do the behind the scenes work too of emailing these coaches and talking to them um, and really just laying down that groundwork and foundation. Um, and yeah, just that on-court presence is super important along with that behind the scenes work. So. Ah, so do you give them kind of coaching critique on how they are acting on court or like their reactions? To yeah, players? you do. Exactly. Like that's awesome. Body, lang body language is so important. Um, I mean, in general, but to get recruited too. Um, you know, it's so important for coaches to see that they're supportive to their partner. They're positive, you know, they're maybe they're quiet, but they're, you know, a quiet leader, you know, stuff like that to just make sure that they are presenting themselves in the best light. Mm. Yeah, I th that's got to be so important, especially when you're inviting somebody to your culture, like a coach and, and the teammates that they've now, hopefully, you know, they have become sort of their family. You live with that team day in and day out. And if you can't glean some sort of positivity, some type of personality that you want on your team, or if it's just hidden and it's a question mark, then you're like, well, then I don't know. And it, I, I think that that on-court presence for a coach looking at somebody who they want to bring, and then, like you said, in the interviews, emails, how they present themselves is crucial for you know signing somebody up to live with you for the next four or five years. Exactly. Yeah, because that team just becomes your family, and um, you know, obviously, it's it's important to be athletic and good volleyball player with good skills, but there's just so many other factors that a lot of kids just don't even think about. And it's funny. We, uh, a little personal anecdote. We had a guy, Brandon McLaughlin on our college team and he had the Huntington beach had the ultimate slow California trailing off at the end type. Like, yeah, you know, well, this was a good practice. Like <laughs> didn't smoke it like ever in his life is like no, no drugs. Nope. Barely any drinking. And uh, <laughs> he just had that like California slang talk, not slang, but a slur trail off. And then yeah, we called it public speaking Brandon because as soon as he was in front of a group of people or you saw him write, like you see any of his emails that he sent to Fred, he was a complete another person. He, he knew how to like show himself off in front of groups and how to speak loud and clearly and assertively and in his writing, fantastic writer. And when you, when you take a look at the emails that he sent to our coach versus how he actually talked to us and hung out, it was completely different, like unexpected. Just who showed up. day different. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> But you know, like, hey, this guy's like smart. He knows how to present himself. So he's somebody yeah. that I want to represent my program, you know, and right. presentation versus who, who you who you really are. You can be careful and you can be purposeful, I think, with both of them. Yeah, purposeful is a good way to put it for sure. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Well, um, I want to get back into that recruiting talk. But first, let's uh, go back to the beginning. And I just want to hear... Uh, when and why you started playing beach volleyball and if indoor came before it, if there was a mix of those two and just gonna tell your origin story. Yeah. So I started playing indoor when I was about nine years old. Um, and I, I know <laughs> a long time. Um, and I was playing a bunch of different sports, uh, from soccer to cross country to ski racing too. um, just was basically thrown into everything. Um, and then my freshman year of high school, I decided to really just focus on volleyball. Um, and I started playing beach volleyball when I was 12, more just for fun on the weekends. And could you, could you uh, tell me what that uh, decision was like? Was it, it was an active decision at that age? Was there a, a, an adult or coach influence that you can pinpoint that made you say, focus that early because I didn't focus on volleyball I think until I was 19 you know yeah so um and there was a there was a lot of different ebbs and flows around there so what was that like as a 12 13 year old to say I know yeah sport? I think for me I just really like the concept of volleyball in general um I liked the how technical it was I was just such a technical player um and I was deciding at the end like whether to play volleyball or soccer and soccer for me, I 
just wasn't as physical, like mm. actual physical. Um, Why did you and have I to think, choose? Who, uh, did somebody tell you how to choose or you felt that you had to choose? No one told me I needed to choose, but for me, I knew that I really wanted to play Division One and like go on to play um, at a high level. And I felt that I, you know, wanted to just focus on that one. I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. Um, but I think at the time when I was playing indoor, indoor club was super intense too on the mm -hmm. girls' side, where it was like, I don't, it's not as much like this now, um, but it was from like December to July of tournaments every single weekend. So it was tough for me to do, you know, like both or different sports in general. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Okay. So you were, you were heavy in that club scene that for me. Yeah. The club, club scene was didn't gnarly. Exist for me, you know, so yeah. it was like, wasn't an issue. It was just what I, what sport I was going to go out and play that weekend, you know, for fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, honestly, I, I wish I could have played more sports in high school. Um, it was just that club scene was pretty heavy um, with tournaments pretty much every weekend. Yeah, so then um, started focusing on indoor my freshman year, playing club and all that. And my sophomore year, I started kind of looking at schools all along East Coast and West Coast. And I got invited to play at this USA High Performance Camp down in Chula Vista. Um, and Anna Collier, the former USC head coach, she was down there as well. And I had emailed her probably like 10 times. <laughs> I've and, been there. <laughs> you know, try, trying to just introduce myself, um, get in front of her and, you know, no response. And this was before uh, the new rule of the June 15th rule for recruiting. What's like that? sophomore to... So basically before your sophomore to junior year, June 15th, before that time, you basically can't talk to coaches. Like it's basically a one-way street. So you're communicating with them, giving updates, but they can't respond back to you. In any way, sense. like can they acknowledge that they received an email? They can acknowledge and they can send camp information and questionnaires, but okay. that's it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I was trying to set... Um... There's a crazy good player uh, in Missouri, and I was trying to set him up with Hudson, who's the associate head coach at, at Ohio. And he's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And he goes, yeah. uh, if you send me his email, I can send him camp information. And I was like, wow, there's so yeah. – the rules are so strict for NCAA. But that's good. I mean, I don't want – you don't want coaches hounding – eighth grade freshmen who are the you know the daughters of six seven olympians like then their lives are miserable too so yeah there's good and there's bad exactly but in general ncaa is, is brutal to navigate yeah i honestly think that rule is good because it used to be where coaches could recruit kids when they were in eighth grade which was pretty insane um you know how do you know where you want to go to school at eighth grade um when you're in eighth grade so i was trying to figure out I which nostril rule... i should pick you know that was that was my yeah. biggest choice in eighth grade <laughs> <laughs> exactly so uh yeah so that rule i think has has been good and yeah so i forget where i was going with that uh so you were you're in high school uh this is before the june yes. 15th yes um but that rule wasn't a rule back then um so i was able to communicate with anna so i was just waiting for a response from her never received one so at that uh, usa high performance camp i went up to her introduced myself you know told her i'd been emailing her i'd love to you know have you watch me at this camp and she basically said all right let's see what you got and just treated it like kind of a tryout in a way um mm -hmm. and so i emailed her after the camp um didn't get a response for like two months. And she said, Hey, love to have you on a visit. So went on a visit and ended up getting an offer at USC. Unbelievable. And that was my only, yeah, that was my only beach offer. I had offers indoor. Um, and at the end of the day, like I absolutely loved beach volleyball and I had two concussions from indoor that kind of just drove me away from indoor. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's pretty gnarly. So I just basically got pretty burned out from indoor and, you know, really liked beach volleyball and wanted to pursue it in college. Okay.
Cool. Now you, yeah. you, were, you were probably the generation where it was like that had to be the first three, I two, was. three years of beach, right? When it was a college sport. Yeah. So I was actually one of the first recruited scholarship athletes for beach volleyball. Wow. It was like me and Sarah Hughes were the first ones. So that's wild. Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, and a lot of my coaches thought I was absolutely crazy. They're like, you know, this is a new sport. It's like, you know, of course, sport they want the you to NCAA follow the circuit. path that they, you know, that they follow and that they're comfortable with. But exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, I absolutely loved beach and really wanted to pursue it and took a chance and it was risky, but look at where the sport is now. It's pretty awesome. So, and now I think that USA women for the next decade and a half, at least are just going to annihilate the world. I agree. Our club system, the way that, that America does it just turns athletes out. Uh, we see this in basketball a lot and we see it definitely in volleyball. I don't think the strength really is, is in as many other sports, you know, there's some travel baseball, but there's really no one who can compete with us in baseball um, in terms of leagues or, Olympic teams, right. you know, I guess like Cuba, Dominican Republic, um, Japan, but for volleyball, right. at least having the strength of our indoor club system turn to beach club system is a little, for a lot of people, a little scary for beach volleyball, because there are those that don't want beach volleyball to turn into what indoor became, um, with, from my point of view, crazy parents, um, you know, like, uh, oh, an overbearing situation where, like you said, from December straight into through July, you're going every weekend. This is your life. There is no opportunity anymore to be like a teenager. Um, and once you're committed to a team, you should commit. I'm a full believer in that. Finish the season, whatever you do, you finish the season and then you reassess in the off season. Like you made a promise to your coaches and, and your teammates. So you should be there for them. Um, I think it's, I think it's an intense route, and I think if you love it, it's awesome for you. But if you're right. on the fence, uh, that's that's where it's different. And I, I imagine people like who are, who are coming to you probably make the same. Hopefully, they're going through the same thought process when they talk about maybe Division One, Division Two, NAIA, D three. Uh, do you want this to consume your life? Do you want volleyball to be everything for you, or do you enjoy it and you have lots of other endeavors that you're interested in so what do you tell exactly to the people who are that you know might be on the fence of how much they love the game yeah that's a great question um because i don't think it's so much of like a on the fence of how much i love the game it's more so a understanding of how much you have to give up and prioritize when mm -hmm. you're playing at a division one or a division two level and finding like that good balance. So I think like a lot of the athletes that I work with, like absolutely love the sport. Um, I think it's just more so just that understanding of what kind of college experience do I want? Do I want to just be playing on this highly competitive team where, you know, we're always competing against each other, fighting for different spots and, you know, give up that balance of, you know, school or social life, whatever it might be, or having that good balance of like, you know, school is like, obviously number one important, but I really want to just focus on school and have volleyball as that like outlet kind of thing. Um, and have it be that like friendly, good community, but maybe not as competitive. Um, do you have, do so you I would have, say that's, do you have any questions that you try to source that answer from? Like, do you, do you ask your players, Hey, how much do you look forward to off season, you know, to when it's not club yeah. season and then you say like, oh, yeah. you're miserable in the off season. Cause there's no volleyball. You're like, you're probably maybe a candidate at least emotionally wise for D one. Or if they love off season, you're like, cool, let's uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. move you away from the full-time job that is D one. Do you, do you, oh, do you definitely. Do yeah. Yeah. And I asked them tough questions too about, you know, what really do they want to prioritize? Because this decision that they make is basically the most important decision that they'll make up to date um, of, you know, really what they want their college experience to look like. Um, so, yeah, 
definitely ask those tough questions and make sure that they, that we're all on the same page, like their family too, um, and themselves and me too. Cool. For me, I, I always try to, it is an important decision and it weighed on me tremendously and going and doing that. Like I went to my first, my first college, I went there to play football. And when I left that, it was to play volleyball. So the decision Mm -hmm. of which college I went to, yes, now I'm on a new branch that can lead to a whole nother branches. But I also, when I talk to kids, I I also want to let them know that this decision is not the end, you know, wherever you go you can stop playing after a season, right? I don't want them to stop playing mid-season. People are counting on you. So like hold yourself to your word and be there for them. Um, But you can change. This this is not the end of your life. It's an important decision. It'll affect the next year. But remember, you're going to reassess at the end of the year or midway through the year and then figure out again what you want. And there's always that choice of you can continue on the same road. People think that when you're on one road, there's no choice. The choice is continuing or turning off of that road, you know, and you have that every single day. And I, I, I wish more kids could understand that at that time. Yeah. When you feel I like agree. a chest full of air and you can't breathe because you think this decision is going to be everything for you and everybody who's looking at you. Um, that's a tough, right. tough time for kids. Totally. And one thing that I always tell my kids is that you want to choose the school for the school like let's say you like pray to god this doesn't happen but what if you get injured like first practice and you're out you can't play volleyball like are you going to like the school as is you know like i always tell my kids like you need to just make sure you love the school for the school in the case that you know maybe you do change paths and don't want to play volleyball anymore so well uh, I do want to hear how you went from USC to playing pro. What was what was that process like? It was good. Um, so I actually went from USC to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to get my MBA. Um, so I was there for two years. And what was your master's? Was in? also the uh, business administration. Awesome. Good choice. I wish. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. I wish I had any education. <laughs> yeah so um went there for two years and then uh coached there as well as the assistant coach there for the beach team with todd rogers and that was an incredible experience learned so much from him um yeah it was it was epic so i was doing that while playing which was honestly really tough um just commuting down to LA a lot for practices and finding partners and whatnot. So it was challenging, made it work. Um, and then after those two years, I moved down to Hermosa in 2019 and have been here ever since. Nice. Yeah. And uh, who, who are you going to, who are we playing with this year? What's the, what's the plan? What's the roadmap? I know you got, you had well, a back, back injury for the last little while. So you got knocked out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so coming back from that, um, still trying it out right now. Um, have some things in the works though that I'm really excited about. So, oh, all right, yeah, not divulging ever. Leave you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Um, you know, I, I I do want to talk to you because I know that you see a lot of players who are talking so much about potential, um, where they are, what they're going to be, and you see this because you've played pro because you've played at a high level uh, in college. So what do you think? And as a recruiter, what do you think are the most, the two most important attributes and they can be mental or physical, but the two most important attributes of a successful player, a beach player. Okay. Are you saying just in general, successful beach player? Mm -hmm. Okay. I would say, Number one thing is mentally tough, having that confidence in yourself, especially in tight situations, uh, just being fully mentally tough. And I would say second thing is driven because it's such an such kind of like an individual sport in a way where you have the freedom to set up your own practices, your own schedule, your own weightlifting. Like you have to be so intrinsic, intrinsically motivated to be the best version of yourself. So I would say those are the two most important things. There's so many others, but if I were to choose those off the bat. Yeah. I think driven can be one of those every field exercises. Like, Hey, 
do you want to be excellent? You have to do more than everybody else is doing. There's always a bell curve for exactly. every industry, for every job. You know, people think like lawyers of prestigious job, like doctor is a prestigious job. Guess what? There's a bell curve of doctors and lawyers. There are crappy ones and there are the average ones. And then there are the ones that go above and beyond and like continue to push themselves and drive themselves, like you were saying, to the next level of knowledge, practice, care, and effort. It's very easy exactly. to just ride in whatever you're currently doing instead of putting that extra energy into getting it going faster, better, more efficient. Exactly. You said mental toughness, being mentally tough. Can you mm -hmm. give an in-game example of what it actually means when you say mentally tough? What do you really mean and, and do it by an example? Yeah. Okay. So let's say we're in, let's say it's 14, 13 in the third set. You're down having that focus and that confidence in you and your partner that you guys are going to side out. I would say like, to me, that's being mentally tough and having that, like that focus to be able to side out and, you know, make sure you're able to trust and rely on your partner and yourself. So would you say that mental toughness to you uh, directly translates as confidence? Not directly. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into mental toughness with that. I think that's a part of it. I think a part of it is focus, like I said. I think a part of it is just like that trust as well. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it. Is there anything those that were, you would be like the three? Do you do anything or say anything or practice anything specifically that makes you mentally tough? Uh, on the court or off the court? Both. Both. I would say on the court for me, breathing really helps. And then also just leaning on my partner as well to find that trust and confidence with each other. Off the court, I do a lot of visualization and that helps with my mental focus, with my mental strength. And it's visualization is like another practice to me and reps for me. So I would say those are the things that I really focus on. So when you're visualizing, what do you visualize? Do you see a visualize. picture of yourself on a podium? Do you see yourself hitting nonstop high lines that are untouched, uh, passing nails, like lip and everything? What, what, what is your visualization session actually visually look like? Great question. So depends. So like if it's before a tournament, I have this visualization like voice memo that talks about basically the me like getting ready for the tournament, going onto the court, warming up, and then it goes into like in game. So I have some scenarios where it's like, I'm passing really well, I'm setting really well, hitting, just nailing everything down. And then I have some scenarios where like, I would say 80% is those scenarios where I'm doing well. And then 20% is where I'm in a rut and I need to help myself get out of it. And some of that is within visualization because I think it is important to visualize some bad times because it's going to happen. And you need to visualize like how you're going to get yourself out of it. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then I think when, so that's like before a match and then. But you said you had a, you had a every voice, day. you had a voice memo. Voice memo. Yeah. Like you've recorded yeah, so yourself talking yourself it. through points yeah. and, and saying like, and you so, pass perfect and you take a slow to fast approach and you see the defender and you crisply cleanly like shoot this line. It's actually a voice memo where it's talking me through like the feelings of what I'm feeling. So let's say the voice memo says like, all right, you're walking onto the beach. You feel the sand from the strand pavement to the sand beneath your feet. You drop your bags down. Like it walks you through kind of that visualization. Whoa. How cool is that? Do you yeah, have it on your, it are really you on your phone me. right now? Can you play like 30 seconds of it? I can, I can play part of it. I'm um, here. I'll play. I'll play the one that this is blowing my mind. That's so awesome. yeah. So much dedication that you sat down and you actually like you went off court and you recorded yourself going through this. Who who led you through this? Yeah. So I actually, when I was injured, I worked uh, with a mental coach and she really helped me with a lot of a lot of stuff because it was really tough for me just getting back onto the court. I was really nervous because that's how I originally got injured was playing. So she really helped me with the visualization and figuring out, you know, what what I can do to 
get over that hump of, you know, being nervous. And so she really helped me with like that confidence aspect. And then um, I also have like this voice memo of just like a practice as well. And it kind of takes you through like same kind of concepts, but also like there's like this portion where it's just meditating and you're just focusing on like just one specific skill in that practice. And mm-hmm. it's like for about five minutes. So yeah. I love it. If you could pull up 20 seconds, I would. I, would I know. Love. I'm trying to pull it up here. It might be like no on rush. my laptop though. No rush, no pressure. If it happens, it happens. But um, I think what people don't understand is that there's an actual true science behind visualization and that your nervous system literally builds physical pathways when you take your brain through a sequence of activities and it's been studied again and again mostly like with foul shots from basketball players where they measure three different people people who are just shooting people who are just visualizing and people who are visualizing and shooting and the people who visualize and shoot free throws always uh, outperform the other groups and the physical pathway that is built when you imagine and take yourself through those movements it it actually translates to nervous system and muscular regulation and so yeah (laughs) i i go from the like biomechanics and exercise science standpoint of it and uh yeah i love that stuff along with that like the two most important attributes you said are the drive you know, going and doing your own thing, which for young athletes, the majority of them, of course, just like anybody else do not understand that when you show up to practice, that's not, no one should pat you on the back for that. You are doing the bare minimum requirement by attending practice. So when the parents and students and they talk about playing time, what how many hours have you put in outside that that gives you the right to come and talk about playing time uh gives you a glimpse into your future because if you're not if your kid is not the one that's out there in the driveway like hitting a ball against a wall for an hour and a half after practice if you're not the parent that has to say hey sarah come on get off the court mom has to go to work like i don't know if that person gets to the next level you know, the, the person right. who's out there is the one that gets addicted to it so early and you can't pull them away from it. So that, that whole kind of like bare minimum stuff where people just show up to practice and they say like, why aren't I at a certain level? Because you're only, right. you're doing less or, or just the same as the average, you know? Right. Anyway. So people need to understand that driven part and what it actually means if you're not improving faster than the people around you hey how many extra hours have you put in uh, compared to them right and you know i mean there's a quote on this like talent only gets you so far but effort is what really gets you mm-hmm. to the top um and, and i think especially with practice high- right it's beyond practice it's, it's beyond yeah you can't just say i work hard at next, practice uh, no kidding yeah exactly and i think i think a lot of kids in high school too it's like everything's kind of just done for them in terms of practices and schedules and all that but yeah it's so important for them to just like go that extra mile of putting in that effort yeah 100 percent. all right well aside from like the mental game and pushing and being driven which I, i can't give enough credo to but what skill for you like what volleyball technique was the hardest for you to learn or that you have the most struggles with, or that keeps coming back like a monster in your closet? <laughs> um, hmm. I would honestly say right now it's passing. Um, I felt like last year my passing was just really solid, felt really good. And then I had my back injury and for some reason like this weird concept of my posture when i'm passing is just super interesting and i've been trying to mess around with it and figure out a way like with the limitations like how i can be a good passer again and like just really feel good about it and it my passing is not horrendous or anything but it's just something that like i've really been focusing on and i would say i've been you know, struggling with. So that's something that is a skill that I've 
really been wanting to hone down since my injury. Mm. Is it because you're, you're so consciously feeling stiff, like you don't want to move your torso freely? You know, like the twists and the dips yeah. that happen with passing. It's the, yeah, it's the like disassociation from your torso and legs, I think. Um, and like this movement, you know, um, and going forward as well. So I would say like having that disassociation is the part that I'm still like training my body to do. To get back to being comfortable with, yeah, where it exactly. used to be unconscious, yeah. right? It used to be like, yeah, yeah I can sit in my chair and wiggle my upper body and do whatever I want. But now it's like exactly. from the top of your knees all the way to your armpits, you're like, want them to move together because you don't want that feeling of being near paralyzed again, you know, from your back. Right. Exactly. So it's just, um, that's something that I've just been messing around with. And honestly, it's been kind of fun just being able to just like retrain my body to do certain things in a way. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a journey with that. Are there any things that you thought, you know, I, I guess, I guess you never assumed that you would like be uncomfortable twisting or, or bending over. Right. But uh, are you discovering anything about passing that you paid zero attention to before? Honestly? Yeah. I would say like, I wouldn't say zero attention to, but it's kind of fun learning different ways that you can be successful with passing without being like very like specific with a certain technique. Like everyone can have their own technique and have it work for them, which I've been finding kind of interesting and kind of fun to mess around with. It's just like finding what works best for each person in terms of a technique. If you have specific lim limitations or, you know, mobility wise can't do a certain movement as well, like what's going to work best for your body. Uh, when you were hmm. first starting like pre-injury, did you have any fears or worries what, what were your biggest concerns walking into a game or practice as you were trying to grow your game and get to the next level you know when you're thinking about going pro you're thinking about your first avp what were the biggest fears when you were stepping up to that level of tournament did you have any do you even think of them i don't know if i had any i mean my first um my first avps were in college and that that kind of mindset like when you're in college is like you have no worries. You're just going out there, you're playing, you're getting better. So there's really like nothing on the line with that. Mm. I think after college, it was, I mean, still kind of same mindset, at least tried to keep that same mindset. You know, you're, you are doing this as a job now. Um, but to go out there and have fun and like get better every game is still the goal. Nice. So you just walked out to so. the court and you're like, yeah, I get to play. I signed yeah, up. Yeah, I try and... <laughs> I mean, yeah, when I was first starting, I definitely like had that mindset. I think I try and remain to have that mindset and like that fun, like going out there, you're playing and competing. So, yeah. So how do you talk to or help people who actually do have that doubt where they're, they're nervous to be in their first tournament? They don't want to be looked at. They're worried about what they're going to to look like or how they're going to play. How do you, how do you help that person? I mean, I've definitely had those scenarios where, you know, you have doubt that creeps in. I think everyone has, um, or a game where you don't feel as confident because you're not feeling that great or whatever it might be. Um, the main thing that I tell them is just like to trust your reps and like trust what you're doing off the court and just remind yourself that you're, you've done everything you can to prepare for this moment and just play freely. So in so. game, the act of telling yourself, I prepared, this is where I am. Yeah, Like I've prepared for this. This is where I'm at. Like whatever happens, happens, but leave it all out on the court. And that's all you can do. I think that helps you get your mind off of the result, right? Of like, oh, if I don't hit this, I, I don't make the next tier or flight of the tournament. And then I might not get to exactly. uh, regionals. And then, uh, you know, I won't get looked at by that coach. And once right. you go two steps down that path, the spiral, <laughs> it's over. It's over. Yeah. I, I love that you said breathing in the beginning, because that's something that I really just in started incorporating to my game in the last like two, three years, I started listening to gosh, headspace. Uh, the sports oh, performance yeah. uh, led meditations for headspace. And he constantly talked about quiet, calm confidence. And he 
focuses on getting you to breathe at a certain rate. And I felt my heart rate getting up in this last tournament, like me getting like excited. And I said, you played your best when you're, you know, like when you slow your heart yeah. rate down and you say, and you stop thinking about, because when you're getting excited, it means that you're probably thinking about what's about to happen. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're in the wrong spot already instead of, right. I'm going to pass Being this present. ball. Where's the volleyball? That's the, that's the thing that I'm a part of right now, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's super important. Breathing. Do you have a breathing rhythm? Do you like go in through your nose, out through your mouth? Do you um, have any yeah. sort of beat to it? Yeah. So this is something I've also been really focusing on since uh, my injury is I try and do it like three times a day where I'm breathing like in through my nose four times, four seconds, hold at the top and then breathe out for about six to seven seconds. Do you do that on court? Well, I guess there have I try and do it on, on court. courts, but... <laughs> Yeah, I try and do it on court because that's what really helps, I think. Just like calm yourself down um, and just get yourself settled and like in the moment and present. Um, I think that's something that's helped a lot for sure. And it doesn't only help when you're in trouble. You know, it helps when you're too fired up. Like in my case, occasionally I'll get too fired up. Yeah, and and it's, it's a time to slow myself down, get myself back to a normal regulation. And then if I'm getting too upset, it's like, you can't get too mad either. So it works on both ends, I think, to, again, regulate the heart rate. It's not, it's not to slow down your heart rate. It's regulate your heart rate, which is a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Could wake you up or it could slow you down, I guess. Yeah. Or if you're getting like frustrated or something, you know, maybe things just aren't going your way. You just, if you're breathing and really focusing on that, it's good. I also like learned, this is something really interesting, but I learned like focusing on like the pulse in your fingertips oh. is something that like, it's really interesting. Um, How do that's you do it? helped me like be, well, so like, I don't know, just, if you're just sitting here, like, can you feel the pulse in your fingertips? Where would I put my finger? If there's somebody listening on a podcast and you can't see us, where would I put my finger? <laughs> um, you wouldn't. You would just like, I don't know, just keep your hands normal. But like if you can feel it, I mean, it just like draws your attention to that. So you're not thinking of like anything else and you're just like focusing on just the moment. That's <laughs> something that's helpful. Am I doing me. it right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's just like something that you can just feel. Um, but that's helped too. And like, just feeling where your feet are too. That's something that's helped me like stay present too. So that, that's kind of something cool. fun. Yeah. Something, <laughs> something to get your mind. And I think this is what people don't understand about like meditation. Meditation is not trying to go into a void. Meditation is focusing completely uh, on, on one thing so that your mind doesn't attach itself to the many things that are flying into it and around you. You know, so in right. in ultra focus on one thing, it allows you to stop attaching to everything that's coming in and, and going out. Um, and they exactly there are some people that say like, a, you know, like that meditation stance where you hold your middle finger to your middle thumb. Some people choose to like press that as hard as you can. Some people focus only on getting your fingers as close as possible without touching you know that's so interesting that you too you can't yeah. think about anything else while that's happening and that's right one of the exercises of mental focus and not trying not to attach to anything because at some point you're going to find yourself thinking about dinner and you're like well it, my finger's touched you know so. <laughs> yeah yeah there's so many different ways and i think it's different for everyone of different ways to just keep yourself present and you know not thinking of too many things when you're meditating or end game scenarios, just keeping yourself really present and focused. Do you have any warnings for any players who are trying to be in your position right now, who want to play AVP, want to go to world tour or just want to play in college? Are there any things that you would say, Hey, like this is a mistake I made in my career uh, or you should look out for X. I don't know if there's any particular warnings. I would say any advice I would give would be to just make sure that you are super driven and just intrinsically motivated because 
that shift from college to professional is so challenging. There's just, you know, in college, you're just pretty much given everything. You're given a schedule to follow. You're given nutrition, mental coaches, a coach in general, you know, you're just given right. everything. Just coach. <laughs> like that's like yeah, probably 80% of your battle as going pro is like, how do I actively go out and recruit a coach to coach me when I was exactly. given coaches my whole life? Right. So I think like, you know, just making that shift is super challenging, but find ways to make it work. If it's, you got to pick up a part-time job, you have to, whatever it might be, you know, find ways to make it work and, and go for it, you know? Yeah. Okay. I like those. Those are good answers. I do want to know, aside from that, aside from the passing, you know, let's go like pre, pre-injury again. And what weaknesses, if you could think about your path along trying to correct one weakness, what was it like? For me, uh, it was three years ago and Evie Matthews said, dude, you need a cut shot. And I literally, I, I mean, I think I went seven or eight years uh, in AVPs and probably hit four cut shots. You know, <laughs> It was hard cross, hard chop, high line, hard line. Um, and I didn't even know that the seam, the middle swing existed uh, until I guess like four years ago. Uh, so to me, the exploration of just going every single day for 45 minutes hitting cut shots um, and trying to establish that early in games so that I can open up my line, that was a big process that I had to go through. Did you go through any uh, pre-injury like weaknesses that you remember specifically padding up? Um, yeah, I, I definitely did. I would say like a lot of those happened in college when I like in college was the first years that I had only just played beach and I was I mean it's so different now like you're playing in club for beach and some people are only playing beach only in high school but for me it was just like I was playing indoor playing beach on the side but I had to remain playing indoor uh, in order for me to get enough touches so I would say like those four years in college were really really big growth years for me and I would say like I mean a lot of it was like offense I had no idea about cut shots and high lines um especially so, like <laughs> like you didn't hit I them? mean like I did I mean I just yeah I just didn't really I didn't know the techniques specifically until like my freshman year when I you know was really taught by Anna um on how to specifically hit those, especially the cut shot too, mm. um, similar to you. But um, what was your best? Yeah, so I would say like tip that you got during that time, your freshman year, you're learning a cut shot. What made the difference to f giving you some confidence in that shot to be able to finally use it in a match? I mean, I wouldn't say it was so much like tips. I would say just like repping it out. We just repped it out so much. Um, and for me, like the way I gain confidence is through repetition. And so I would say we just repped it out so much that it was just ingrained in my head. And Anna was such an amazing coach that she, I mean, she would just say over and over again, like, you know, got to get that thumb down or got to keep, you know, pinky down, whichever side I was on. But mm -hmm. um, she always called it like a shot hit. Like it's not a shot, but it's yes. not a hit. I love and that. So she called it a, sh she called it a shit, and it was <laughs> pretty <laughs> funny. And it's always, it's always stuck with me. Um, and that's it it's not a curse. That's an up. abbreviation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I like that. It's funny. Um, how do you, how do you? So I mean to. I completely agree with that. That the cut shot. I think so many players think about it as this arky spinny loopy thing that that falls prettily and daintily close to the net you know where if you have the ability to be higher than the top of the net and hit a cut shot straight down off of your hand all it is is a sharper angle and you take off only right. as much speed as you need to take off from your hard cross to make that angle happen um, right so that shot hit is a really good piece of feedback and you can definitely hit that yeah. when you're wide on the court and I think a lot of people try to hit it with the same pace when they're like in the middle of the court and you have to take so much more off of the ball once you're in the middle um and people can feel that out but uh, right and 
so that was the biggest feedback that you got was hitting quicker, yeah. faster, more down. Yeah, I would say just like keeping like, I mean, the biggest part of it is just keeping your approach the same. You want it to look the same. And yeah, just like making it faster. You don't have to like drop your elbow and try and like really mm. get it over the net. Like you just want to keep your arms like super fluid still. And it's just like the angle of when you're contacting the ball, like on your hand. And yeah, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not like that shot where, and what you were saying, just like really has to be like nice and over and loopy. Like you want it to be a bit faster pace. So I think the the yeah. best piece of advice that I got for my catch shot, maybe into two, but it was maybe for shots in general was controlling the timing of it. You know, I, I think a lot early in my career, I would jump, feel the top of my jump, make sure I was still seeing where the defender was and then hit. So by the time I ended up actually contacting the ball, I was on my way down. I was lower, you know, and that most defenders, they find that rhythm where they try to match their foot stomp or their split step to uh, the, the contact of your jump. And if you right. hit before the height of your jump, you can get them while their feet are still in the air about to be settled so that they don't have the time uh, to take that first step. And so when Evie was really working on it with me, I said, you got to get on it quick, get on it quick, get on it quick. And I didn't quite know what he meant until we finally. What that meant. Yeah. To hit, first of all, yeah. to learn how to hit on your way up, to learn how to hit at your peak, and then to learn how to hit on your way down. And then, how to intentionally control them based on your shots uh, right. is huge. Cause it's not jump hit yeah. at the top of your jump. Like people have to stop feeling that. And then when they get their brain mixed up is when they, they jump, they say, I have to hit the top of my jump. So their brain goes, okay, feel the top of your jump, then swing. When now right. in actuality, you're hitting on your way down. So your swing has to start generating almost for most people, almost as soon as they take off like from the same, right. just start going through that swing quick. True. Very true. Do you wish at this point, you know, especially as a mentor for young athletes um, with AW recruiting, do you wish you made any different choices at any point in your athletic career? I know you said that you kind of wanted to play other sports uh, in school, but also put you on the path that you're on. So were there any choices in volleyball or just your sports career in general that you're like, mm. I wish this? I mean, I wouldn't take anything back because I wouldn't be where I am today without those decisions. But I I do wish I was able to play more sports in high school. And I honestly encourage athletes to play more sports in high school just because it's such great cross training. And um, I think it's important to just like keep yourself like athletic and you know um so i would say like that's something that i wish i was able to do i think it was just really tough with indoor though um and had to make those decisions but i think now like if you're playing beach only and you have um you know your club practices i think it's manageable to you know play multiple sports in high school for sure yeah at least be open to it you know one or two years yeah yeah I know that that's a crucial so. time for college recruitment for everybody, but I don't know. And also maybe it's very, very different from guys attempting to go into like a collegiate volleyball or, or maybe I was just clueless during my high school period because I was like, yeah, I can play volleyball and in two years get on a college team. Or um, There are a lot of tough decisions at that time that I, I don't envy the emotional state that a lot of the young kids go through. I just wish that I could, that you could make it clear to them that this isn't the end. This does not right. determine where you end up. This just determines where you go next. Right. You know? And if they could right. hear that and, and understand it. Yeah. And that's the part that, I mean, kids get so, so stressed out over making these decisions because it is a very tough decision at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's so important, like when I'm communicating to them, like it's not an end all be all, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can make, you can make changes. You don't have to continue down this path. And I think 
kids sometimes have that tunnel vision and it's just really important to just have them keep that open mind when they're mm -hmm. making this decision. Okay. So uh, just uh, for a year as a player, number one, are there any tools or equipment or must haves that you need either in the gym, uh, at a tournament, at a practice or at home, you know, when you're traveling? Maybe. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I would say <laughs> we're diving I mean, into your gym bag much, right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much, I pretty much set up the whole court at practices, but like definitely must have if there's already a court set up with lines, antennas, balls, whatever. Definitely pull downs are so important, especially oh. for, yeah, uh, especially for women's nets because. I'm constantly pulling it down, adjusting. So those are definitely a must have for equipment for the net. Um, so you have like the hooks and then for me, attached to the crank that you can like uh, yeah, uh, change and pull. Exactly. Very, yeah. very so California are... specific, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I would say those are super important. And then having bands for uh, warm up is really important for me just makes it a lot more of a efficient warm-up uh, and gets my legs much warmer uh, and prepped for practice um do you have the circle then, bands like else? the hip bands uh do you have the band with handles yeah. any like of the thick both uh, the thick resistance bands what do you got yeah so i have like the thick um like circle bands i guess for mm -hmm. um just getting my glutes warmed and legs warmed. Um, and then I have bands for my shoulder to get my shoulder warmed up and prepped. And yeah, so I'd say those are the only bands that I have. But for travel, like super great equipment to have is like the Hypervolt. Those are great on the road. <laughs> you have it right now. Be sponsored by yep. <laughs> Hypervolt if you're They're listening. Awesome. We'll promote you on the show next time it's gonna cost yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> those are great and like they also have um this thing called a venom which goes on your back and it heats up and massages and that has been such a game changer on the road for me uh, yeah because i just put it on when i'm on the plane and it keeps my back super loose and it's super nice i love i like it a lot that's awesome yeah that venom oh adam roberts give me let me wear it like oh yeah match we were playing together and i was like this is a game changer it's oh, so nice yeah so nice those are great yeah <laughs> so i'd say those are my must-haves when i'm traveling cool your your uh bands your hypervolt your venom um yeah and pull downs which is incredibly important pull downs i wouldn't say like traveling but for practice for sure i mean if you're going to like a norseka or a one star uh you, you might have to set up their <laughs> nets for them. <laughs> this is true this is so true <laughs> that is although i was just at uh the norseka in mexico and it was awesome it was uh, such Agua a great yeah second in that I did, yeah. Nice job, Silver. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really great event, honestly. So, great. Sometimes, sometimes not. <laughs> the uh, the Norsegas are unfortunately more missed than hit. Some of the events are so cool, fun, awesome to be a part of. Some of them you're looking around going, right. how did anybody allow this? Um, yeah. And where's the oversight? Where is somebody getting yelled at for what's happening right now? Right. Like, at least show me somebody getting yeah. yelled at. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That was, uh, for me, that was last year I played in Rwanda. And that was pretty gnarly. Like, my partner and I, we both got pretty sick. Um, oh, man. The courts, like, weren't really set up. Yeah. There was just a number of scenarios. I, like, missed my flight because I didn't get my COVID test in time. There was just a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. some events are really, really throw you through a loop. And that's where that mental toughness thing comes in. Like how exactly. much crap can you put yourself through? And then, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I don't, uh, if you remember uh, Eric Zahn, good buddy of mine, uh, he, yeah. he put himself, he would go to uh, McDonald's and he would, a couple of times he did this, 
45 minutes or a half hour before a practice, he would consume as much McDonald's as he possibly could and then practice. And he get hit. he said, <laughs> it's adversity training. He goes, you have to be able to perform when there's crap in your body and that like you, you haven't eaten the right things just like you would on tour or at a crazy world tour. And I was like, your insanity <laughs> has so much like knowledge that that needs to be dove into. <laughs> That's honestly so smart though, because it's so true. Yeah, can you play? Can there's you still sometimes... win when you're puking your guts out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some tournaments where you're just, I mean, I try and bring good food on the road, but there's some tournaments where you're just not going to find good food and oh, you just got to figure it out. Uh, in China, and me and uh, Ian went and played in Cambodia, and you know they're like yeah. literally serving stuff you're not used to seeing, like chicken feet. Like there's just chicken feet <laughs> in boiled water, and you're like, I'll have one of these, but like the thought of it's gonna make me throw up, and then like I won't be able to have the rest right. of my meal. And so you have to learn how to pack your own food, and then you have to learn how to just like let that stuff go and instead of being on the court and saying oh well i ate crap oh well i didn't do this oh well, I guess what it's time to win now so whatever is in right. your body whatever's going on with it like i saw jake gibb take over a semi-final match uh literally like walk like doing a two-step walk in between uh side switches where he would just absolutely house the guys he's playing with i think it was billy allen and, and stafford's like but we get like three blocks in a row wouldn't pick his head up, wouldn't look at anybody, stepped under the net and turned the other way and just waited like tired for the next point to start. And that's a guy who's world champion, right? It, somebody right. who can put their body through whatever it needs to go through. And at the moment when they have to win, no matter how they're feeling, what happened to them before, what they ate, you get it done in that moment. Um, and exactly. then you recover afterwards. So, Right. Yeah, so that's a big, great example. Big advice to all your recruits: for sure. uh, make sure you yeah. Guys, yeah tell that to your recruits. Uh, hey, at least once this week. <laughs> yeah, go get yourself some Jack in the Box. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, are are there any? Uh, I I do want you to for sure talk about your company. But are there before we get to that last little part? Are there any projects uh, other than your recruiting company that you're currently working on? outside of beach volleyball or any interests or passions that you're pursuing right now? Um, outside of beach volleyball, my business, honestly, I've been pretty busy with those two. Um, other passions of mine. I mean, I just love being outside and, you know, hiking and doing all that. Um, so I would say those are other passions of mine. Um, but right now I've just been so, so busy about it, but luckily like those two things are, my passions. So, I mean, it's been awesome. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, trying to run a business and play volleyball at the same time is another level of busy. And then, you know, then relationships, then any other endeavors you might even attempt to think about pursuing. It's like, where's this going to fit in? Yeah. If you're playing yeah. as a professional <laughs> athlete, that your day should be you know, an hour and a half to two hours in the gym, a two hour practice, which should literally take like three and a half hours because of travel set up uh, some like mental tests or mental training before and after some journaling. If you're doing it for real, right. it's a full-time job. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always pay that way. Um, so you gotta, right. you gotta make it work. And it's cool that I think you and me both have found jobs and found a, a situation where, we still get to hang out around the sport that we love and make it easier for other people, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So just talk to us, give us a, uh, you know, two, three minute summary of what AW recruiting is, how somebody signs up and when they should come and find you. Definitely. So just a little background on it. I started it in 2020 when COVID hit, everything was shut down. Um, and it was something that I was super passionate about. I had seen, uh, you know, the college game as a player and a coach, and it was something I was super passionate about, um, helping young kids, you know, further their education and be able to play in college and chase their dreams. It was something that I was really passionate about and wanted to help these kids, um, you know, have that guidance to 
be able to play at that next level if, you know, sometimes parents are able to like help them, but it's a really, really tough process. And I wanted to be their mentor to guide them through it and um, through the ups and downs of it. So I would say like, if you're a freshman or sophomore out there or junior and want to get recruited, like come and find me. Uh, my Instagram's AW Recruits. Um, you can slide into the DMs or whatever you want to do. <laughs> but yeah, doors always open and I'm more than happy to do any consultation calls. That's awesome. Yeah, I would I would also say that, you yeah. know, people think that just as a side note, like an example of calling a lawyer, just because you call them doesn't mean they're immediately going to start charging you. You don't have to be ready at that moment to like spend your money. If you right. just have questions about recruiting and you're just trying to get them answered, it, at least reach out to Allie. That doesn't mean by texting exactly. her that like you're going to be spending all this money and that you're definitely going down the recruiting trail. But at least get some easy questions answered because as somebody who's been through it, she is going to save you the three, four, five, six hours of Googling and looking at a bunch of different sites and blogs with a 10 second answer. And that's why you hire experts because they get you the answers faster so that you don't have to invest all of your time and energy into finding them. Can you figure it out on your own? Yes. Is it going to take you literally 15 times as long and be that much more expensive? Yes. So go to an expert, somebody who knows what they're doing. You go to AW Recruits and you know, at least start asking the questions so that if you decide it's time to work with Allie, she's there. It's a, then it's an easy step if you need it. Exactly. No harm. I'm always open to questions. So Cool. Well, so, Allie, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. It's nice talking yeah. to you. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. It's fun talking to you. Yeah, definitely. Let's have you on again. Yeah, we'll get, I'm down. We'll get more into it. <laughs> yeah, and all, and I like yes, uh, maybe it. we could run a little like Q and A uh, if I can shoot out the email list. And uh, you know what, guys, if you're at home and you're watching and you're a parent or a kid who is talking about recruiting, go ahead in the comments wherever you're seeing this on podcast uh, on YouTube uh, on our Instagram and throw into the comments any recruiting questions that you have. We'll make sure and we'll tag Allie and she can just jump in there and she can start answering that. But if you have more recruiting questions and you wanna see more of this, go ahead, chuck it into the comments and uh, then we can start the conversation that way and then maybe we'll, we'll discover 50 new questions to give you an interview for and we can uh, help, help grow your business and help some, help some people find some easier answers. I love it, that sounds great. Nice. All right. Cool. Perfect. Well, Allie, uh, good cool. luck this season. Looking forward to seeing you kick some butt. Thank uh, you. Heal up that foot. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> All right, girl. Uh, I'll see cool. you on the sand. Thank you, Mark. Bye. Sounds good. Bye.